classe gibberish. Hi there, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of Classy Gibberish, the radio show in which we listen to the absolute bangers of the history of classical music. The bangers we all know and love. And today, for the last um, Classy Gibberish before my wee summer break, we are back with female composers and we have a fairly recent piece it was composed in 1927 by Ethel Smith and it is her concerto for violin horn and orchestra I decided to finish off with an orchestra because those are always my favorite pieces so Yeah, we're going to go straight ahead with it and start playing this piece. I gave it a little listen um, before, before coming here. And I think it's... Uh ah, that's way better. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, I gave it a little listen before before coming here, and I approved of the little segment I I listened to just at the beginning. So yeah, uh, it's been a week like the the previous ones, just uh, doing work, doing food deliveries, and uh, doing radio work in the beginning for this radio. Um, we've got a new presenter starting hopefully next week and you know things seem to be coming together the thing I did this week was I looked at something that was done in previous years called a 55 hour radio marathon for to raise funds for charity and uh, we're going back to doing it next year And so I was reviewing the footage from previous ones to see what sort of things they did, really. And while reviewing the last one, I remembered that I was part of it. And so I took a look at at the, the, my performance in, in that radio marathon and the show I did in it, which was called Utah's, us talking about stuff. And... It was cringy, it was cringeworthy, because I was a lot less cap capable of expressing my thoughts. And also my accent was a lot thicker than it is now, I think. So, yeah, it was an interesting experience. But anyway, that's enough of me. In the outside world, a lot happened. After being a big proponent of Brexit, after all the parties uh, doing lockdown, after all the, 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 the lies that he said over the years, after all the mess he was involved in, after all the 
quirky moments, to say the very least. Like Peppa the Pig, for example, if you remember that. After almost three years as Prime Minister, Boris Johnson was, in, in some sense, made to resign as leader of the Conservative Party. And so, in a few months, he will stand down as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom when a new leader of the Conservative Party is elected and steps in instead of instead of Boris Johnson. And this is something that I was looking forward to for much, much time. I thought that it would never happen in the same sense that I thought Trump would never really not be president anymore but it, it finally did I, I came to the UK in 2018 in the midst of, of Brexit when uh, Theresa May was kind of struggling but not as much as towards the end and after a few months here Theresa May had to resign and a new leader had to be elected for the Conservative Party to step in and deliver Brexit and at the time when those elections happened I was back in Portugal I was working six days a week um, usually more than seven hours a day and while doing that I was also closely following the elections in the Conservative Party and one thing we heard a lot at the time was <coughs> the idea that there should be a second referendum because the first referendum people were didn't know what they're going into and they were lied to by people like Boris Johnson in all fairness and there were some controversies around the interference of countries like Russia for example and at the time there was a lot of talk of doing a new referendum and checking whether you know the people of Britain really wanted to Brexit to happen after the mess that resulted from it and so when the elections for the Conservative Party leader happened there were several candidates that wanted either a softer approach to Brexit with closer ties to, to the European Union afterwards or that wanted to do a second referendum. People like, if I remember correctly, Michael Goh, Sajid, David, uh, Sajid Javid. And so at the time I was really rooting against Boris Johnson because he was one of the candidates that wanted the toughest Brexit. And, you know, eventually... As, as the different stages of the elections succeeded and, and occurred, basically, it was really obvious that Boris Johnson was going to win. And so, from that moment on, I, I didn't want Boris, jo Boris Johnson to be, to be in power. And I, I must admit, from, from my point of view, he's not been a bad prime minister by any stretch of the imagination he's done good things he's faced you know the the pandemic he's faced just now the the russian invasion of ukraine 
he's facing the crisis in, in the cost of living, in the cost of energy. So he's faced tremendous pressure from all sorts of, of situations and circumstances going on around the world. And he's done well, but I think he's not trustworthy. And a country like the United Kingdom needs a prime minister, needs a leader that is trustworthy and who they can confide upon to really do the best for the people. And that, I think, isn't Boris Johnson anymore. And the circumstances in which he was... he had to resign are... not ideal. They... Because they really reveal that, you know, there's a lot of people in the Conservative Party who only look after themselves and don't really look after their constituents, the, the people of Britain and, and Northern Ireland, people of the United Kingdom, I should say. And you could really see that because obviously when all the, all the mess with Partygate happened and you know thinking that during lockdown during the pandemic people were stuck at home unable to see their families unable to mourn for their lost ones unable to to see their their newborns for example or or the the, the their nieces and nephews newborns who just been born yeah you get my idea and at the same time, in 10 Downing Street, the, the building that really represents government and represents the Prime Minister, in that building, there were parties happening which directly contradicted the laws that were made at the time and the recommendations of the government. You know, this is something that's not easy for the British public to look at and to think. All the sacrifices we made, all the while, they were parting away you know and so this is that was a situation that really affected the British public and when when the re revelations of this came out that the Conservative Party wasn't bothered when when it came out that the, the, the Prime Minister had lied to government about not knowing about these parties they were slightly bothered they started the uh, confidence confidence vote in, within the Conservative Party, but out of 358 MPs, only 141 voted against Boris Johnson, say, saying they didn't trust him to be the Prime, Prime Minister. 141 out of 358. After, after a situation that really deeply affected the British public, and I think there was a, a a decent chunk of them that only voted that because of of the lies and the fact that you know if if Boris Johnson could lie in Parliament, he could very easily lie to them, to the Conservative MPs, and that's I think the reason why most of them, or or a, a reasonable chunk of them, voted against Boris Johnson. The ones that voted. Uh, so in, in their own self-interest and then when this last controversy came out about Chris Pincher someone, the deputy whip 
who's someone who's supposed to be in charge of the running of the Tory MPs in Parliament. You know, if there's any issues between between the MPs, anything going wrong in Westminster, the whip and the deputy whip and whip team, from what I've gathered, they're there as the first people who you talk to, to ask for advice and what to do. And what came out was that there are there have been serious allegations made against Chris Pinch, Pincher, who was the deputy whip. He, he was appointed by Boris Johnson and uh, when he was appointed there was seri serious allegations that were made about Chris Pincher and sexual mis misconduct and these allegations were made about him and they were expressed to Boris Johnson and he completely ignored them and appointed him anyway so last week when Chris Pincher got drunk and groped two men you know, that the, the, to all the Tory MPs that had told Boris Johnson about the sexual, sexual misconduct allegations came out saying, we told him that this man had allegations of sexual misconduct and Boris Johnson appointed him anyway. Um, and so that was the first issue and many people were outraged within the Conservative Party because of that. And then the thing that really tipped the balance was that Boris Johnson at first said that he'd never heard of any allegations. And all his, uh, the members of his government were, were told this, and so they went around saying Boris Johnson didn't know of these allegations. A couple of days later, it came out that he did. And so the members of government were made to lie to the British public. And this was what tipped the balance. Not when the Prime Minister lied to government, uh, to, to the Parliament about not knowing about any parties. Not when the accusations of parties going on while everyone else was sacrificing, staying at home, not able to see their loved ones. In those circumstances, the Conservative Party didn't do anything effective to get rid of Boris Johnson. It was only now when they were in peril, when their skins were at stake, their values were at stake, was when they acted. And this really re reveals that there's a lot wrong with the Conservative Party. That they, they don't really stand up for the British public, they don't really stand up for the interests of the nation, they stand up for themselves and their own interests. And it really shows that Politics in Britain, politics in the Conservative Party, you know, stinks of rot, stinks of, of rotten values, stinks of rotten ethics, stinks of people who are there for themselves and aren't there to be politics, politicians and really represent their constituents. And so I'm glad to see that Boris Johnson is gone. I'm glad to think that there, it's very unlikely that one such as him will be elected to office in the foreseeable future. Because I think the feature that 
sets him apart for, from everyone else in, in politics and in the Conservative Party is he grabs onto power as long as he can. It took him 50 of the members of his government to resign before he resigned himself. That's, I think, about between a fourth and a third of his whole government. It took that percentage of his government to resign before he did so. So it makes me happy to think that it's very unlikely that someone who clings on to power as much as him, it's unlikely that someone like that will be in power in the foreseeable future. But the fact that the people in power, the Conservative Party, care very, very little about the interests of the nation makes me very, very worried for the next few years. And while all this was happening and everyone was going crazy with the resignation of Boris Johnson, um, a little bit of a little piece of news came out saying that Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner, who were under investigation by the Durham police regarding a gathering they'd held in which they drank beer and eaten curry, and that gathering was being investigated by the police uh, to determine if there had been any unlawfulness going around and Keir Starmer had promised to resign if he was fined and found to have been in an unlawful gathering and yesterday it came out that the investigation by the Durham police had concluded and they had found that there were no unlawfulness going on and that that gathering was strictly necessary for I think I think it was for work, so for the for the Keir Starmer and and Angela Rayner running of the of the Labour Party, and so something like this and and the sort of person that Keir Starmer is, he's not someone who excites you know the British public. He doesn't go out and really sort of contaminates in a good way everyone with his personality, with his charisma. But he is someone with strong values, I'd like to think, from the positions he's held and from the life he's, he's led. And so it gives me hope that perhaps the Labour Party, if they do get elected to, to, to office, if Keir Starmer gets to be Prime Minister, and the Labour Party returns to, to being the, the main party of the, in the United Kingdom. If that happens, gives me hope that those will be brighter times. But it is a very... A very... Fearful hope. Fearful of being betrayed. Fearful of, once again... My trust being totally misplaced. Because throughout the almost three years that Boris Johnson was in power and throughout the decisions he made during the pandemic especially, 
I I started hoping that he was going to be better and he was really someone with good values and that was going to stand by them. But that didn't really happen. So my trust in Keir Starmer, my hope in the Labour Party are there, but I'm fearful that they will be misplaced. Only time will tell. For now, Boris Johnson has resigned as leader of the Labour Party. Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson's downfall has begun. There's a light at the end of the tunnel for, for those that don't really like him. And that tunnel is very, very close to finishing. So this is a source for, for happiness. This is a source of rejuvenation, really. And I believe nothing really will make me unhappy for the rest of the month because this little, this little victory is ours. Now, on further topics, you guys all know, well, if, if, if you do listen to my, to my podcast regularly, you know I like to talk about books, and last episode I said I was reading the fourth book of the Stormlight Archive, Rhythm of War, and I stayed up on Thursday? Yeah. On Thursday night, I stayed up until 6am reading the Stormlight Archive. Yesterday, or today rather, I stayed up until 6am reading the Stormlight Archive. And I woke up at 12 and instead of going back to sleep, I went back to reading the Stormlight Archive. And I finished the book, Rhythm of War. And it is a masterpiece. It really is. And once again, it proves to me that Brendan Sanderson is a master of story building, is a master of narrative building, and is a master of world building. Like no one else I've ever read. Someone like Sarah J. Maas is sort of the closest... I've read, but even her is is miles behind. And Brandon Sanderson really is a genius. And as I've said before, Stormlight Archive is a book series that's going to have 10 books. And I've just read the fourth. The most ambitious predictions say that the last book will be released by 2040. And so this story that I'm reading and that I, I'm loving is only going to be finish, finished in approximately 20 years. Which is crazy to think about, it really is. And, you know, I've read the four books over the last couple of months. And now I'm sad because I'm, like, I'm going to have to wait a couple of years to read the, the fifth book. Because it's not been released yet. And so it should take a couple of years for Brendan Sanderson to finish it. 
and but it's a really it's a brilliant book and it really shows why he's so good because these first four books they all all of them feel whole they all feel meaningful and while you, you're reading them you get the sense this is a great story but as the books progress and this is something i noticed in mistborn as well which is another book series my favorite book series of all time that brendan sanderson wrote and in in the first book the story is great and you thoroughly enjoy it but then the second co book comes along and it doesn't work within the same realm of the first one. You know, it sort of continues, but slowly but steadily adds another layer on top of it. Another layer of significance, another layer of of greatness of the mission of, of the protagonists. And this is something that's not easy to convey just by trying to explain and I don't want to spoil the story. But it, it, it is something that makes the books really improve a lot as they go along. And with, with a book series as long as 10 books, each of them having you know, more than a thousand pages, there's a lot that Brennan Sanderson can do. And I think he will take you know, the first six or seven books to set the scene to the last three or four. And I think it's gonna be great. And it's in stark contrast with a book series like The Hunger Games. I read The Hunger Games. They are decent books. The first one's really good. The second one's worse. The third one is, is it, it, it's, it's rubbish. It's, it's really awful. Now, not really awful, but it's, it's not a good book. You know, it's it's satisfying. You know, the story ends. That's that's all you can say for it. The story ends. You know, but as a book, it's a lot. It's it's worse than the second one, and a lot worse than the first one. In the, in Brendan Sanderson, you never see this. The books get better because what's at stake is massively increases. So, for example, in, in the first book of Mistborn, it starts with a single man who's a slave in, in an army. And the book's about his struggles as, as a slave and how he tries to save his, his slave colleagues, let's call them that, and his struggle to, to be free and to be happy. And then the second one is about his country and, and something bad that's going to happen to his country and a new enemy that conquers his country. The third book is about his whole continent and the enemy taking over his continent. And then the fourth book sort of continues that, but subtly adds, adds another layer, which is, you know, this enemy that's taking over the continent can, is, is, um, there are other planets in this universe 
and they are related to each other and the enemy that's taking over the continent and the planet that they're in can take over pretty much any of the planets of of this universe and it, the enemy is trying to do so and so with each book something comes along that increases the stakes and increases how great the story is not great in this in the in the sense of good but great in the sense of big and the story gets um you know greater and greater in the sense that first of all it's a man fighting for himself and his friends then he's fighting for his country then he's fighting for his continent then for his planet and so this really adds to a story and really makes Brendan Sanderson a great, great writer. And every book is amazing. But after you read the so the first one, you get to the second one and you think, oh, this one is much better. The The first one is, was perfect. This one's even more perfect. And then you get to the third one and think, oh, this is even better. You know, the, the first two weren't when you read them any worse than it, but the fact that it adds another another layer, that there's a, a whole new perspective to think, to, to, to look at it from, a whole other layer of, of, of importance that's added to the story. It really improves it, you know, for, from perfect. You know, perfect is supposed to be this absolute term you know, there's a, a perfect, a single perfect. But with Brendan Sanderson books, the first one is perfect, but the second one's even more perfect. And then the third one even more. And that's something I really love about his books. And I would highly suggest you read them. Storm Out Archive is really good. Mistborn is really good. The Reckoners is really good. If you want a sort of soft introduction to, to Brendan Sanderson, if you're not really that much into fantasy i'd go to the reckoners first and then mistborn and then stormlight archive but he is a genius he's a master of narrative he's a master of fantasy and he's really worth it i would highly 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 advise you to give him a chance because he is one he he's a once in a generation and possibly a once in many, many generations. So we've got to enjoy him while he's still alive. And I would even, just, just to leave this um, note hanging in the air, I'd hazard, it's probably even better than J.R.R. Token. You know? Uh, Lord of Rings? No, fuck off. Stormlight Archive. Boom. There we go. Anyway, that was me. I I <laughs> I really enjoyed my rant about Boris Johnson. I think it was very articulate. I watched a a sort of rant by James O'Brien in the um, LBC radio, leading British conversation about Boris Johnson and that he's finally been you know, he's finally resigned and I felt inspired by it and how passionately sounded about it and I tried to reproduce it and I think I was moderately successful so I'm happy about that but yeah that's all for me as you know we um as I said in the beginning 
We just listened when I was a to student, oh, wait, sorry. I all right, all right. We just listened to Ethel Smith's Concerto for Violin, Horn, and Orchestra, and it's a really good piece. I was really deep, um, deeply immersed in what I was saying, so I couldn't appreciate it properly. Um, but it was a very a, a decent, not decent, a good, a, a a very good soundtrack to say the things that I did today. So yeah, that that's she's 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 good. I would advise you to listen to Ethel Smith if you do have the time because she's really good. Anyway, that's all from me today. Next week I am going to fly back to Portugal. I am going to be there for a couple of months, enjoying the sun, enjoying the warmth, enjoying some time with my family away from uh, Dundee, away from the 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 not away from my responsibilities, but away from from the the slight stress of being involved in in the radio, of being involved in uh, of doing the work for Uberitz, etc. So I am really, really prolonging this unnecessarily. But yeah, I just wanted to say I'm going home. Uh, it's coming home, it's coming home, it's not coming home. Anyway, I'm going home. So this is the last episode before, uh, for the next for the next couple of months. But I promise to be back in September. Stronger, better, more good looking. I don't think that's possible because I'm already perfectly looking. Um, but yes, until then, I hope you have a great summer. I hope you really enjoy yourself. Um, enjoy the the sun, the warm weather. Enjoy, enjoy being alive. And I will be back in September with more classic gibberish. And I will enjoy myself while I'm back in Portugal. And I hope you all enjoy yourselves as well. Bye-bye. Classy gibberish.